fiber in place. Welcome to this edition of Still in the Race, the podcast about running, except for when it's not. Things fall apart. For reference, you need to read the book that I stole the title from, Things Fall Apart. It's been decades since I first read the book, and I still feel the heaviness of that story. It's essential reading. The Willows. This wasn't the plan. It's six months late, but I find myself on the steps of the Willows Inn in Palm Springs, California, as the sun rises over the mountains. The plan was to be in this place on day one as I launched my new adventure. Much like the entire journey that I envisioned, every step was planned. Much like everything over the past year, the plan fell apart. Rather, I was playing my part in a shared global experience where all 7.8 billion of us dealt with a pandemic that forced us to reevaluate what was important when everything that we believed became a little less clear. I opened the gate and turned in front of the art museum, just as I had planned in what now felt like a different world. We had risen at 5 a.m. California time, which was 8 a.m. back home, caught the Starbucks on Palm Canyon Drive as it opened, and then walked the empty streets of the city as it slowly came to life. Breakfast started at 8 a.m., so back at the inn, I had just enough time to slip in a run and a shower before joining my wife for a pot of coffee and breakfast, courtesy of Gordon and Harmony, in front of the waterfall. Did I mention that it's our favorite place? The city was still silent as I returned to the streets. I know the path that I had planned, but that world no longer exists. So while I am in a predetermined place, there is no following the predetermined path. I turned down a road that I have never traveled and started exploring. It felt appropriate. At a certain point, I realized that I am too far away from the willows and began winding my way back in search of the familiar streets. It's 7.45 a.m. when I finally punched the code into the gate. My wife is almost ready for the day, and I hop in the shower still dripping wet with sweat. Downstairs, we are back in our space. To be sure, a place that many others also hold is their place, but it's not true. It's our place. The sun is climbing, the coffee is perfect, and the sound of the water falling provides the backdrop for the morning. When Darth Vader, he's taking a smoke break. We'll need to ask Astrid for that reference. Running and thinking, and thinking and running. I get a little bit uncomfortable revealing what I think about when I'm out for a run, but not because I fear what bounces around inside of my head. Thinking is what runners do. But knowing that Haruki Murakami wrote what I think about when I talk about running is intimidating. He's a true master of words, and I feel insufficient to the task knowing that his work is out there. Yet it's impossible not to deal with what is at the center of every run, and I've put it off too long. 
So here we go. It started with my ritual of searching for a podcast as I prepared to set off. And there it was, a new edition of Broken Record, which, as I have noted, is essential listening for anyone who pretends to be a fan of music. The problem with the new episode was that there is no stepping in for Rick Rubin. Who does that? It's like coming in the game for Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. No upside. However, in this case, it was, after all, Malcolm Gladwell. The person who is so singularly nerdy in every possible way that he steps across the impermeable line and is a level of coolness that we all aspire to, yet can never achieve, because it's impossible to be so completely uncool that you become cool. But that's Malcolm. Once I am over the letdown of Ruben not hosting the podcast, I slide on my earbuds and set off. I am forced to give a nod to Gladwell when I consider his episode on Praxis, where he focused on the mental blocks that some professional entertainers have with remembering lyrics, or his revelation on why Pat Boone making a heavy metal album makes perfect sense. In context, for me, Pat Boone choosing to cover Holy Diver still occupies a space in my mind. On the cover of Ronnie James Dio's album, a demon has chains around a priest struggling not to drown and Malcolm has the depth to recognize the genius of Pat Boone arriving in that place. I love artists. We all have moments that define us or help to shape our lives. Most of mine have been incremental and slow-moving rather than seismic. But there was a time, and that podcast transported me to that place. A single year that had a profound effect on the rest of my life, and I still feel it. As I set up on my run, Malcolm was interviewing Ziggy Marley about the release of a pictorial history of his father, who would have turned 75 this year. There is plenty of time during a five-mile trek, and I found myself reflecting. More specifically, reflecting on the 15-year-old version of myself in the 70s. I was a white, Midwestern boy in a small town with the musical taste that came with that time and place. Big, bold, fantastic, straightforward rock music full of banging angst, that teenagers across generations have been drawn to. Crashing into that world, I would find Bob Marley, and his music would land with a thud. And for the first time in my life, I would begin to wrestle with music that wasn't just about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as the mantra goes. He sang about social justice and the human struggle, which didn't neatly fit into my place in the world. Listening to his music was a weight that would take me years to understand. It came during a brief period of my maturation that shaped who I would become as a person, and the podcast with Ziggy and Malcolm reminded me of those days. It would be a gross overstatement to view it as a time of enlightenment or self-awareness. Teenage boys aren't capable of such grand coming of age. A better description would be a prolonged period of confusion as I tried to reconcile my tastes and interests with those around me. It was, after all, the year of 2112, station to station, zoot allures, and Rastamon vibrations. As someone who had always been fascinated by art and its place and culture, that brief period of life laid the foundation for a perspective that has followed me to this day, and during the first three miles, I could feel those days again. I would never listen to music the same way again. Complex arrangements and lyrics that challenged everything that I thought I knew. It would shape not just how I listened to music, but framed how I looked at my lifelong fascination with books. Unintentionally, it would mark the beginning of replacing every assignment that I received in high school with my own reading list, which, for better or worse, most of my teachers turned a blind eye to as long as I was doing something. Ultimately, 
it would influence my life perspective of constantly challenging my physical capabilities and pushing into empty space, a line that my employees have had to listen to for decades. My social life began to shrink during those years as those works increasingly became my companions and I grew more comfortable with being alone. It's the essential on-ramp for running because even in a crowded race, you are alone. Decades later, in my grandson's second birthday, we were drowned in the Elmo shuffle and baby shark, as was appropriate. But in our quiet moments when no one was listening, I taught him to be wary of the priests of Syrinx and warned him one does not just walk into Mordor. How important was that brief period of my life? My children can relate to all of the references without further explanation. Hopefully, he will too. Back in the real world, I am still running. Mile four, and I am beginning the big climb. And, with big effort, come small thoughts. Reflecting on life in my teenage years is replaced with making it through the next 10 minutes. During the difficult times, what I think about is thinking about running, thinking about the next step, and the next, and the next. A new kind of spring. Although I've only moved about 10 miles, the month of May brought a huge change to springtime running. At first, I didn't notice, but all it took was a single bird in plain view resting on a branch directly in front of me. I immediately went into protection mode. However, as I passed, it completely ignored me. It was at that point that I realized my spring running had taken a turn for the better. A strange part of my life was suddenly over as quickly as it arrived eight years earlier. To some degree, Every part of the country has four seasons. Granted, in some places the changes are more subtle than in Michigan, where we swing from days well into the 90s at summer's peak to below zero during the dark days of winter. What makes it interesting is that just because the season is changing doesn't mean that we know what's coming. Spring can be a beautiful time of year with weeks of warm sunny days. Alternatively, winter can refuse to yield during the weeks when the calendar says it's spring, skip the season entirely, and go straight to summer. Summer can be hot unless it's cold, calm unless it's months of wind. The rain might settle into a pattern that arrives every Friday through Sunday or barely make an appearance. Some years, fall is my favorite time of year, but it's also a stark reminder that the cold and the darkness are about to arrive. Other years, much like spring, winter holds the trump card and decides that nice weather is over for the year and we skip fall altogether. Winter is one day at a time. Some years are brutal, and every morning brings more snow and cold that feels more like a battle rather than a season. Others are much easier, and although I have never learned to like them, I do appreciate them. For someone who hates the cold, my primary activity during the winter months is counting the days until spring arrives. However, regardless of the unpredictability of the weather that begins every season, Grand Rapids has a fifth season that arrives and disappears precisely on schedule every year, and always feels the same. The season starts shortly after the snow disappears and the birds begin arriving as the trees bud. I am keenly aware of the changing seasons during my runs and after many years have learned that this season requires that I am tuned into the noises around me. I don't know much about birds and in most cases I can't tell the call of one from another, but my senses jump to life when I hear the red-winged blackbird during nesting season or, as we refer to it, bird diving season. 
They make a noise all their own. And from the time I hear the first cry, my senses are on full alert. They move from place to place each summer, but for a bird so protective of its young, every year they return to the heart of the city to introduce the next generation. During the first couple of weeks, they scream from the trees as I pass, making their presence known to all, and I carefully note where the densest concentrations are while weaving my way through the streets. Their nests have been built and eggs have been laid, but for the time being, they are just a lot of noise. It all changes the day that first egg hatches. The screams from the trees suddenly become low-flying missiles that come up from behind and smack into your head. There are always two waves of protection for the newborn. The outer ring, on the perimeter a short distance from the nests, that work as scouts, sending out warning cries, and as you pass, they make as much noise as possible before retreating back to the mother tree. This is a safe running distance, and part of those early runs is when I find what parts of the city will be off-limits for the season. I still have a couple of encounters every summer when I stray too close to a nest and get a not-so-subtle reminder that I am in their realm and receive a smack on the back of my head. Still, it's much better than the first summer in the city when I spent every run in constant fear of where the next attack might originate. I have also learned to defend myself if I do stray too close, although I'm not sure that I wouldn't be better served to take my punishment for invading their space. Their screech is not so much a warning as a war cry that they are inbound. To fend them off, I wave my cell phone over my head as they circle a few feet above. They have never attacked when I take that simple action, but I am left with the reality that I am 60, with graying hair hanging out of the back of my head, waving a cell phone over my head. Running at this point in my life already makes me look a bit crazy, and I can only imagine what others think when they see me at these moments. The best that I can hope for is they admire me for being out there, giving my best considering whatever bizarre condition I obviously have. I even worry that the birds tell each other about the weird old guy that waves his cell phone over his head and go out of their way to antagonize me, just to show their bird friends that I am not just an urban legend that they tell stories about while wintering in Florida. The season disappears as quickly as it comes. One day, and this year it happened last week, the squawking remains, but the diving stops. The baby birds are out of the nest and settling off on lives of their own. And although they still feel compelled to let me know that I am in their space, they no longer view me as a mortal danger to their family. For me, I'm just glad that another dive bombing season is behind us, and I have full access to all the pathways that I'd like to pick through as I wind about the city. There will be peace until our fifth season rolls around the same time next year. Thanks for stopping by this edition of Still in the Race. If you would rather read than listen, much of the content, along with other odd thoughts and observations, find their way to stillintherace.com. Production and editing of care of Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. Find them both at babyfeverpodcast.com. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say but don't count on it.